Welcome back to Dunkle Vision. I am so excited for our guest today. Not only is he an amazing actor, an amazing voiceover artist, but he's an old buddy of mine. We had the same manager. We've worked together. We've played golf together. He's a great guy. You know him best as the Crypt Keeper from Tales from the Crypt. It's my old friend, John Kassir. John Kassir, I haven't talked to you in years. I don't know if people realize we used to have the same manager. That's right. We we shared a few girl we shared a few girlfriends I think even maybe I oh my know. god did we which ones <laughs> I'm kidding I'm kidding <laughs> I doubt I doubt that's true I, I think, I was, think so either. I, think I, I think I was probably married when I met you so I was, you know I starter wife <laughs> starter wife I had one of those too pal <laughs> you got a young one I got a young one that's what I emulated you I was like this guy does everything right I'm gonna get me a 23 year old. Divorced. <laughs> that was We're that good. was your first mistake. <laughs> Imitating me. Oh man, come on. You set me on the path, brother. You set me on the path. Are you still over in the canyon? Um, you know, I moved out of the canyon. Uh it, my <clears throat> the the road in front of our house turned into a freeway. Oh, that's nice. You know, I mean, it was, you know, here we were on some country road. When I first moved in 1990 into my canyon abode which is just an amazing place it uh you know occasionally you'd see somebody walking their goat down the road you know now <laughs> now it's like a place for people to open up their ferraris and stuff you know so yeah um we found a place like a nice horse property up in you know north of the city northwest of the city and it's, it's awesome we love it oh nice i'm trying to think of the last time i saw you maybe you're playing golf at lost canyons well, I was on, you had a podcast. What did we do? Dude, I, that's you know, right. I, you know, I did that. I think that's the last time. Oh yeah. We did that in, in studio, I think. Didn't I? I came in and we sat. It, yeah. That's right. The old dunk tank. The dunk tank. <laughs> yeah, we did a few episodes. I think I did about 33 and then uh, life oh, happened wow. and uh, put me on a different path. It said, well, oh, my God. we're off the podcasting for a while. And then Chris, do you even know how I met Chris? Chris and I just met. In real life, for the first time, a few weeks ago, we just, really? just contacted me on Facebook a couple of years ago, and we've worked on a couple projects. We did a little uh, short film together, and um, technology bringing cool people into my life. So that's how we ended up doing Good this deal. shindig. Fantastic! That's how life should be. You're right. That was probably the last time I saw you. The uh, over at uh, Full Circle Management. Oh my gosh, Jason! <laughs> what a good guy. Yeah, we lost touch and then reconnected and then lost touch again, but you know. Hey, you know. You did mention you mentioned that gun. Let's give a little uh a little uh backstory on that. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like a weird way to start. Hey, remember when I had that gun to your head? We did a showcase for that uh management company. I do believe it was called We Got Game. Is that what it was called? Oh right, that was the name of the uh the the, the evening. That just came into my head, and that should not be there. <laughs> of all the things that should be in my head, why do I remember that was called We Got Game, and there was like a little basketball. I, well, Jason was so into <laughs> basketball, you know. So stupid. <laughs> he, he, he had some weird ideas, man. He's like, I think you should wear like a really colorful hockey jersey on stage. And I'm like, not really into hockey, uh, first of all. <laughs> but that's the look I should go for. <laughs> yeah. 
maybe a leather baseball cap worn backwards. Mm. Interesting background, though. You know, Jason, our uh, who was our manager together for a number of years, uh, his dad had Cafe Agogo in New York where uh, that launched, you know, Lenny Bruce's career and yes and uh jimmy hendrix and i mean when they first opened up they had like bb uh, king and guys like that would come play his cl- their club yeah the greatest coolest place in new york man i did i did you ever meet his dad i had thanksgiving dinner with his father you know just briefly when we first met each other and you know that but i yeah. didn't get to know him well enough uh, sadly but uh what a great yeah he was a cool guy history of uh you know people in the industry kind of people yeah, yeah, yeah. I just so, uh, raised my gain a little bit. That didn't mess you guys up, did it? Now you're just nope. clear as a bell. Clear as a bell. I'm here in my home studio. <laughs> you know, it started out with like, we're no longer doing auditions at home. Can you set up your own little audition studio to, you know, hey, we're in a pandemic. Can we record everything from your place? Yes. I'll go get myself a $2,000 microphone and let's go. Oh, is that because maybe there's, maybe that's why my sound quality isn't up to snuff? Because I think I paid twenty eight. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's one of those microphones that everybody else's teeth hurts when you speak. <laughs> like ah, like biting on foil. Ah, you know, man. I've I actually I recorded a voiceover that ended up on television under a baby blanket in my car. <laughs> snowball mike i did this the best gig and i cannot get another one but i did it was called wilfred do you remember a show called wilfred on uh, fx yeah 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 and i got the gig doing the promos and they just had me wilfred wednesdays at nine only on fx and they had me come in and do that like wednesdays at nine tuesdays at nine wednesdays at ten and john they had me come in every season for three seasons and just record the same shit and I'm like, didn't you save this from last season? And my agent's like, don't say a word because they were, it was a grand a pop. There you go. It was a thousand bucks a pop and it never took me more than 15 minutes, but I was playing golf over at Brookside, ready to tee off. Hey, can you record this wild line? I'm like, yep. I ran to my car, had my laptop, put the blanket over my head, had the microphone, made the thousand <laughs> bucks and then got my tea time. <laughs> That's amazing. Voiceover is fun, dude. And I wish I could do it more, but I don't think I've done a voiceover since. You know, it's a, it's a hard, uh, you know, I get more people ask me, how do I break into voiceover? I was like, well, you know, it's not, not like something that just like you go, Hey, somebody made a phone call for me and I got a job. Now I got a career. It doesn't work that way. It's, you know, it took me, took me years. You gotta be brilliant. The guys in the voiceover and the, 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 <laughs> the men and women in the voiceover are unbelievable at what they do. And even when I moved here, they were like, this is the most competitive subset of the entire en- entertainment industry. And the guys that work have been working for many, many years and you're one of those guys. So hold on the gun thing. We did that showcase and we had a scene where (laughs) I was a priest and the scene just came up and I'm driving and you're holding a gun to my head. Yeah. And you play this Cholo character, but John, like here, I'm just a young actor trying to learn. He's like, we got to drive around. We got to really drive around so you feel what it's like to be driving with a gun to your head. And so we did. We went out on the freeway and people are looking at us like, what? And we're like, it's okay. We're friends. (laughs) He's not really going to kill me. But it really helped. It's a shorthand. You know, I mean, obviously that's not how you teach acting to people. You know, it's like, well, go right around in a car. You know, it's just like. You know, there are certain physical things that you want to recreate that you don't know how to do it. And it doesn't necessarily translate onto camera either. Right. Like I remember, you know, people, if you walked out and you looked out into the countryside, you'd be like, 
wow, look at all that, the sky thing. But that wouldn't look good on cameras. Uh, you go, you pick three things to look at. You go this way, right, that way, and that way. And it does the same thing as is if in real light, you realize, oh, there's a bird. There's you know, and it's just there are certain tricks that people teach you. You know, I I I think uh, I was doing a scene with William Devane, and all of a sudden I I realized he wasn't he wasn't really looking at me, and I'm like. Mm. Is am I okay for your eyeliner or whatever? He goes, oh, it's a it's a little actor trick. I'm only looking at you with one eye because otherwise I'll look cross-eyed because we're so close to one another on camera. And you know, it's like, oh, I see. And he goes, and it favors my best side. And and all of a sudden, I go, oh, okay, that's interesting. I didn't realize that. You know, yeah, there's uh, little things that uh, you know a lot of times making the cameraman your fr- the camera operator uh, or. Uh, um, cinematographer, your friend is a good way to go. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing. That's the cool thing about this industry is you get to work with people that have all this wealth of knowledge and you don't know what you're doing until you're doing <laughs> it. You really don't. Nobody yeah. does. You can take as many acting classes as you want, but once they yell action and the crew is there, it's like you got to perform or you sink or swim. And to have that, uh, you know, everybody giving you little nuggets, you can never learn too much, can you? No, well, you know, they hire people all the time who are not seasoned on-camera performers, you know, right. uh, they, they hire them because they're, I mean, now, especially nowadays, oh, he's a, you know, he's famous on TikTok. It's like, or, yeah. you know, or, you know, I remember shooting a scene with, uh, with Morton Downey Jr. Remember Morton Downey yes, Jr.? Yes, I with do. With his show, when he's screaming people, <laughs> you know, and, um, you know, he come up to me, he goes, I keep telling me to hit my mark. What does that mean? I was like, well, there's a piece of tape on the floor. Don't look yeah. down, but, you know, Don't look walk, down. Up, walk up to it a couple of times and you'll feel it. You'll feel that you're in the same spot every time you walk up to it so that there, you're in focus when you hit that spot. Otherwise, you're going to be out of focus, you know, if you go uh, past it or don't hit it. So that's why they want you to hit your mark. So we're, we start doing this scene and... Um, this was when I was on First and Ten. Remember the series First and Ten? I was That's on, when uh, I first became aware of you was First and Ten because I watched that show. That was one of the first HBO shows that I maybe that and Dream On. Wasn't that an HBO show? But I do. You played the kicker. I kicked the ball. Is that Zagreb Skinuski. <laughs> Zagreb Skinuski of the California Bulls. I fuck you both. Yes. <laughs> Is this a PG show, by the way? Sorry, you're going to have to bleep No. That. Fuck okay, no. Okay, good. Chris oh, wants no. it to be, but it's it's me. <laughs> you are so fucking funny on that show. That's that the was first time I ever show. remember knowing who you were. Uh, it, it, you know, they, I was supposed to do two episodes. My first scene that I shot was with uh, O.J. Simpson, who was not only on the show, but it was also one of the executive producers. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, uh, oh, God, what's his name? Um, Jones? Uh, you know, he played uh, Flash Gordon. Uh, uh, and Man, I'm trying to remember who else was on that show. But he was a, the quarterback that first season. I, and they were laughing so hard. OJ was like, we got to have this kid on all the time. I wound up on the show six years. That's amazing. But I'm shooting this scene with with Morton Downey Jr. And he, uh, you know, he plays a character similar to himself where I'm on his talk show. And I don't get what he's saying. I'm like, yeah, I've written a tell-all book. And he's like, he's screaming at me because I've ruined all the other players' lives by telling who they're sleeping with and stuff, you know. I've been manipulated and, um, and he, he can't get to me. And I'm like, I think everybody's cheering for me. And I'm like, yes, yes. And he's like, he starts headbutting me during the scene. I'm like, 
dude, you know, you don't have to actually do that. We can. Yeah, we can cheat that. We can choreograph this and cheat it. So it looks like you're hitting me and not actually hitting me. It was like, oh, I didn't know. I was like, yeah, hit your marks. Yeah, hit your marks, <laughs> not the other actor. <laughs> dude, I'm just looking here. Cliff, Cliff Frazier. Cliff Frazier, maybe Delta Burke was on that show. Um, oh, my God. Chris Maloney. John Matuzak. John Matuzak. He was a monster. John Matuzak showed up. You know, I mean, we had real football players on the show. I got to meet a lot yeah. of my football heroes. And John Matuzak, I mean, literally, if I stood there with my hands up in the air, straight up in the air, they would touch his pecs. You know, I mean, that's how big he was. That's how much bigger which than did me. he did quite often, which he got a little annoyed at, but... <laughs> I'm going to kill you, Zagreb. Um, you know, but we had Don Gibb, you know, who was like kind of like a John Matuzak kind of character. But John Matuzak came on the show playing, you know, an aging linebacker who was doing steroids to try to keep up with the younger players and then like has a heart attack and dies. Yeah. A year later, it like actually happened to him. Yeah. Art, life imitating art bizarre but he was he was like you talk about himself in second person to be you know the twos kind of lost control yesterday i was like the twos yeah you know the twos you know he shows me a picture of himself it says the twos on it you know and um one day we're and he was always really professional showed up on time had his lines down you know and all this stuff and one day he just didn't show up and we're like going what the heck happened to john matuzak you know yeah. well let's you know we'll reset up the schedule shoot some other scenes well what had happened was he was on his way there this is how i understand the story goes he was on his way there on the freeway and i don't know if he cut off some guy accidentally or the guy cut him off or something like that some guy in a little sports car and the guy in the finger he's like fuck you fuck you you know and the Tuesday's like pull over pull over and the guy goes <laughs> guy pulls over he gets out of his little like mg or something and he starts walking and matuzak gets out of the car you know of course the guy's like he yeah. really goes runs back in his car but by then matuzak <laughs> has got a hold of his door and wrenched the door off his car Holy tore shit, nice. the yeah tore the door off his car and got arrested. Wow! Imagine flipping somebody off and John Matuzak gets out of the car. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is like a scene out of you know Hangovers Five or something. Yeah. You know what was OJ like? You know OJ was cool. I mean, you know, uh, you know, until he killed his wife. He had one bad night. You know, he, he had, had, one had bad a bad night. night a bad night. <laughs> you know? had one bad night. <laughs> He had more than one bad night, trust me. <laughs> but uh, no, he was cool. You know, he was always cool to us. Again, you know, he was a professional. I mean, you know, OJ had owned big businesses and very smart businessman and treated everybody really great. I mean, misogynistic. I mean, you yeah. shooting in the middle of shooting a scene and he'd be hitting on the, the girl in the scene while it's like, OJ, it's my close up. Do you mind? You know, <laughs> Um you know, and, uh, but, you know, he'd be like, hey, guys, I can't go out with you tonight. Why not? Well, you know, uh, you know, with the wife, the thing with the wife, you know, I got to show up at the kids dance recital and make everything look nice and everything, you know, because he had, had uh -huh. you know, some things going on and that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, he always treated all of us that worked on the show really well. And, you know, yeah. 
take us out for food and drinks after shooting and stuff like that. He was always pretty cool. Hello, Twitter world. You know, you follow him on Twitter. <laughs> no, <laughs> he's great. No. He's hilarious. Hello, Twitter world. Well, I remember George Truly. It was it was funny because I was shooting a movie when when the Bronco chase scene was happening. Yeah, and and we there was no TV around, so they have a screen about this big on the camera, you know, so that you know the cinematographer doesn't have to look through a lens, or if the director wants to look at the same time as the cinematographer, he can see on this little screen. Well, right. they they patched in the what was happening on TV into this little screen. We're all standing around watching the Bronco <laughs> chase scene, and they're going, well, "What do you think? What do you think?" I go, "I don't know. What you know? I, why would you run if you're not guilty? You know?" Yeah. But. After all that happened, I got a I got a call from somebody somebody who was a friend of a friend or something had gotten my number uh, from Newsweek and they wanted to interview me about you know it's like well did you ever think OJ could be a murderer or blah blah it's like how am I supposed to know you know I'm like working on a show with somebody you know I worked with him for six you know, over six years and you know we had a lot of yeah. time together doing this and this and this you know I mean. You know, OJ was the kind of guy that was in between shots. He'd be out there on the field hitting golf balls, you know, into a bucket, you know, 50 yards away, you know. Yeah, there like, were no signs that he'd almost decapitate someone. There was it No, no, no signs, you <laughs> the know. The flags weren't really there. Yeah, I mean, you to know. To do something that bad. Who knows how big somebody's ego actually is. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's how long ago that was. I was, uh, you were working on a movie and I had not even moved to LA yet. I remember it was during a, it was a basketball game. It was the basketball finals. And I was living in Phoenix because I had helped a friend drive out for the summer. So I hadn't even gotten in. I had just started doing stand up. You know, we've talked so long now, we didn't even get to our first question. We usually like to ask our guests, like, what is your creative origin story? What is it? At what point in your life did you decide, I want to get into this business? I want to live a, a life of creativity. Gosh, probably my first year of school when I realized I probably didn't have any other future. Yeah. <laughs> no other discernible skills. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was, it was funny because I wasn't a good student as a kid. We moved around a few times, uh, just circumstance, uh, um, while I was kindergarten through third grade. And by the time we landed where, where I mostly grew up, I was in my first year of third grade. Mm -hmm. I was so far behind and it wasn't, and really, and started to realize I wasn't only behind because of, you know, that school was just much further along than where I had come from and that kind of thing, but that I was dyslexic. And they didn't ah. really know what that was, you know, I mean, right. maybe even had some other learning disabilities that were subtle, but, mm -hmm. you know, and back then they just called you, you know, they taught everybody the same. They wrote stuff on the board. You were supposed to write it down. They sent you home with a workbook where you filled in the blank. I couldn't read the sentence to fill in the blank. So it was just like, I was really behind and, and they, you know, they say, well, he's lazy and disruptive. I was like, well, you know, I wanted to participate. So I'd entertain the class. Yeah. You know, and, um, you know, my, and then I had a, a, my second time in third grade, I had a teacher, um, and I just remembered her name the other day when I was talking to somebody, Mrs. Fields. And she, she goes, you know, you really read 
better when you're doing it out loud and in front of the class. You should get up and, you know, I want you to read this poem and I want you to do this. And she gave me my test orally. I wound up, you know, acing the year. Oh, great. Yeah. You just got to, it was very hard to get somebody to really take time with you back then. You know what I mean? Oh, forget it. Not only that, you know, if you didn't follow, if you didn't do it the way everybody else did it, we had five kids in my family. So it wasn't like my parents could sit down with each one of us every night, make sure yeah. we did our home, homework and stuff. And, you know, I mean, I, I was became, I was that entertaining kid in the class, you know, class clown, the whole deal Yeah, got involved in doing like school plays and stuff by the time I was maybe in sixth grade and loved it. And it was, you know, it's funny. I, I had, I had like a, my mom used to drop us off a toy barn, you know, toy barn was kind of like a home Depot version of a toy store. Yeah. You know, where like everything was on just like industrial shelves everywhere. And it was huge. And back then you, you didn't have to like watch your kids. My mother would go into the grocery store <laughs> no, and leave us in toy barn. It was discouraged, actually. <laughs> yeah, you'd get arrested for that now. I remember my sister like getting her finger caught in the car seat in the car. My brother closed the door and on her finger and chopped it off, you know. Oh and God. you know, my mother, when my mother went in the store, she would have gone to jail for that now. But that's what yeah. people did. You know, my mom was a great mom, but you know, how do you watch five kids in the grocery store? Well, yeah, I had double that. My mom had double that too. So oh my God, Catholic, uh, Irish, Irish Catholic, much German, German Catholic. It's just German Catholic. Oh, sorry, Dunkelman. It's a different kind Dunkelman. of food. Dunkelman. We're from the we're from the good side. We're from the south side of Germany. We we got out of there. We had nothing to do with that shit. We just had twelve more Dunkelmans. That's it. Uh, we just want to have more babies. <laughs> just like babies to help on the farm. But uh, I remember my mom dropping me off at the toy barn and I would climb up on this shelf and hide in the shelf with a ventriloquist dummy and have it <laughs> talk to P Jerry Mahoney and I would have it talk to people as they walk by. Nice. And my mother, you know, I was five years old, my fifth birthday, my mom. I woke up and it was like the Jerry Mahoney doll sitting on the end of my bed on my birthday in the morning, you know. And I, I had it. It's, it's falling apart now. I recently went and looked online to find one that's in good shape, and I ordered oh, no one for it to come. But it's a, I was like, oh, I got to have this. It's such nostalgia. I can remember so much about just looking at it. Maybe remember so much about you know being a five year old. It was just crazy. But you know, it was it was in my blood. It was in my blood, and it was you know. I mean, I had always wanted to be a professional athlete, and mm. um, as a kid, and I you know I loved you know, sports and I played a lot of sports, but I played football, but I was 135 pounds, you know, so there yeah. was obvious I wasn't going to go very far after junior varsity, you know, I, but I, I had scholarships to play lacrosse, but you know, which was a big sport for me back in Maryland where I grew up. And nice. Um, I did not know that that's, I uh, never had lacrosse in the, uh, the area where I grew up, but you had a scholarship. You got, you could where have did a scholarship. You grow up? I grew up in Western New York, about an hour South of Buffalo. Oh, there you go. They have no lacrosse. No there. lacrosse. That not not as far south as I was. Didn't have that yeah. growing up. Syracuse, golf, all those areas. Golf team. golf team, right? Right. We played some golf. We did play. Some you're golf. a lot better than you're a lot better than me. Hey, it's funny. I haven't I haven't been playing. I had shoulder surgery. I hadn't been playing in the last two years, and my handicap kept going up. I was like, "How's it going up? I'm not playing." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I play half the year. Yeah, <laughs> I really play half the year growing up in, you know, in snow, once September hits golf is kind of over anyway. And then NFL football starts and it's kind of really all I, 
I have two things, football and golf, and it splits the, the year nicely. So I don't know if I, I might. But once March hits, I can't think of anything else. Uh, that's it, man. But I was you know? pissed yesterday is because the uh, the NFL uh, uh, Sunday ticket went down. Oh, it did? See, I did not get it this year because I'm doing that NFL Bites where you just – they have the the free, but and then it'll pause and all those pop ups. So it's kind of a pain in the ass. But the Bills haven't played on a Sunday yet, so I'm like, if I get it, I'll wait. I'll see. But it's working out. I've got three televisions now. I just got another flat screen. I'm lonely, John. I'm very lonely. <laughs> I've got three, thre- <laughs> three fucking flat screens. I'm a bachelor. Sometimes being single doesn't suck. I'll get. I'll bring my camera over. <laughs> Uh, of course, we got the Buffalo Bills tonight. I went to that game, by the way, the opening. Did night. you really? I did. It was unbelievable. I took. I got a kid. He's nine. I took my nine-year-old son, and my brother came. My nephew, his son, he's who's eighteen. Two other buddies brought their eighteen-year-olds, and it was probably six or seven of my best friends from high school. We rented. Well, a house. you know the bill. The Bills look like the most. You know the most prepared team in the f- the first game of the season, and the <sighs> Rams did. look like the least prepared uh, yeah. team in the season. So there you go. That's what that's what you get. It was an amazing experience, though. I mean, it's like it was like a home game. All our yeah, games so, are home so games. SoFi so Stadium, baby. Yeah, it was but, crazy. Uh, the Bills look really good. Uh, you know, they're they they have uh they can only screw it up. Yeah, well, thanks for saying that because we tend to do that. For a <laughs> everybody <laughs> says everybody says that about their team, though. I had friends Listen over to- and the Ravens in Miami were playing yesterday. The Ravens were killing them the entire game and lost it with three touchdowns ahead. They're it's like, crazy, they, and they lost it. I was just like, "Oh my god, I can't believe!" Because and the whole time he kept going. Oh, Miami never does this. Miami can't, you know, they're, they're like, they're so terrible. I was like, yeah, no, the Ravens are like, they're, they had a couple of seasons which that's all they did was uh, dominate three, three quarters and lose in the it fourth quarter. Collapsed. Yeah. You know, a, a couple of years back, that's what they did. And I sure hope it doesn't happen again, but cause they have a lot of potential too. I can't yeah. wait to, they're playing the bills. Coming up. Two weeks, I think. Or it's something. two weeks. We got a tough stretch okay. coming. You know, see, at, at the end of that game when we were up 21, the, the opening night there, and then some guy, we weren't being obnoxious. We were all the way at the top, which was fine because we could stand the whole time. And uh, <laughs> the guy turned around at the end and he just looked right at me. He's like, you guys are going to fuck it up. Just like you fuck it up every time. You always fuck it up. And I'm like, he was saying that to me. You know what I'm saying? And it hit personal. And 30 years of rage from being a Bills fan. And my kid was right there. It's like, I don't know how to raise a son. I teach him you never fight. You never start. But you don't ever let another man disrespect you. And, and, and I, sh- I put my hand out. I said, congratulations on your Super Bowl. We're very happy. Look at our banner. And I'm like, oh, and I just I just started seeing red, dude. I was That's like, not funny. today. Fuck you. Don't piss yeah. in my Cheerios. Here's I'm a, our I'm banner my while son. we embarrass ourselves this week. Your fucking banner. You got a banner because of a coin flip and a game you didn't even play in. That's the only reason you've got the banner because we would have kicked the shit. I can't get into it. But anyway, yeah. it wasn't the time. <laughs> So you're going to fuck it up like you always do. Well, it's amazing. There's, there's a, God, what's the name of the show? It's another Julian Fellows show. Julian Fellows who does, um, you know, did Downton Abbey and those shows Uh has a new show. And it's about the history of, of uh, 
soccer, football uh, in yeah. England, England, and how, you know, it started out as like, you know, an elitist pickup game with the, with the you know, with the Oxford boys and whatever. Yeah. And then, you know, of course, then the, the, the factory town wanted to get in on it. And they, they go, yeah, we'll let them play while we beat them into the gra into the turf, into the pitch, <laughs> you know. And then, of course, it became civic pride, you know, and you know how crazy they are, every team, how crazy Nuts. they are for, for their own home town team and stuff. And, right. you know, I mean, my wife can't can't even believe it when we go back to Baltimore and we go to a game at, at M&T Stadium and they're and you know people show up in their trucks that they've converted for, like they've converted an ambulance into like a raven mobile <laughs> they open the back of it is the entire walls of the ambulance are speakers and you know they're playing you know and it's it goes you Baltimore Ravens you know playing across and people are shucking oysters, and I mean, it's unbelievable. It's amazing. Yeah. I just love it. I absolutely yeah, where do we jump through it. tables? Oh, forget that's, it. That's what we do. We just jump through tables. You set them <laughs> on fire, jump through them. Uh, <laughs> oh, I just got a message from the guy I watched Miami with. It's the latest apology for the NFL Sunday ticket outrage. Ah, uh, so <laughs> yeah. it was out all day. It was out the pretty much. A, Two thirds of the game that I was watching. Oh, I, I was been pissed. so pissed. I was pissed. Luckily, we stole it on some some phone thing and streamed it to the TV. I don't know what we got somebody's connection or something. Because then I really yeah. would have been pissed. I would have been furious. So now we, I know you did you did stand up. When did you start doing stand up? How old were you when you first got on stage? Well, it's weird because <clears throat> although I had done comedy all my life and did like bits with, with a buddy in high school. In fact, we used to do the morning announcements, which was kind of like my first voiceover oh, thing. We'd do like, yeah, we, the following morning announcement brought to you by a grab from the mobile corporation. Bum, 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 bum. You know, we do that kind of stuff. We'd imitate the teachers. We'd imitate the beat, John, Paul, George, Ringo. You know, we'd, we'd do like all these, uh, stuff you know to the point where people would be like hey we'll give you free tickets to our to the dance if you plug the dance you know on the morning announcements and blah 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 you know nice. like, oh, this is pretty cool you how know? did that come about you know we were we used to do the the talent shows and we would do these funny characters and stuff he, my buddy fred and i used to do uh, fred Smythe. fred Smythe and i would do the morning announcements and um we would be in all the plays so when when they'd be like and the play would be two nights You'd, you'd rehearse for like months and it would play two nights, but yes. to like packed out to a packed out auditorium of all the students and anybody who was invited and all that stuff. So it was a big deal, but you know, they kind of left it up to us to always plug the, the plays. So we did it. And the woman who worked in the office was like, you guys should do this more, you know? And then they bring us in, they go, you know, we have like this gymnastics troupe coming in to perform for the school. Can you do a thing for it? You know? And sure. And then before you knew it, we were doing the morning announcements almost every day, you That's know, cool. you know, and then I had, when I was in college studying theater, some friends and I had, had started a, a comedy troupe, kind of like our version of Saturday night live, uh, on, uh, uh, Fridays and Saturday nights in the dinner theater downtown Baltimore, which really hadn't regentrified yet um, downtown. And it was bringing people down in swarms and it was really prop popular. The group was called Animal Crackers, you know, so I'd done a bunch of sketch comedy. And um, and then when living in New York and not making money in the theater, you know, in between gigs, I would street perform in front of the Metropolitan Museum. Oh, no kidding. And I mean, literally, I would make more money than you would ever make in the theater street performing. Right. So. 
I had some background in it. And then I got in this show called Three Guys Naked from the Waist Down. I don't know if you remember that I was in this show, but it was, it's basically Dream Girls, a musical, but with stand up comics. So it was these three stand up comics and their rise into the TV industry. And it was just the three of us. And uh, it was me and Scott Bakula. Scott Bakula, yeah. And um, Jerry Colker, who wrote the piece. And, um, you know, we played three comics. Scott played like the charming, you know, MC who couldn't get any further because everybody only knew him as an MC. And, you know, Jerry played like the law student who dropped out to become a comic and was always on his soap opera and, you know, angry comedy. Uh-huh. And I played kind of like the um, Gilbert Gottfried or the um, just really lost kind of comic. What's, what's, what was the guy's name, um, uh, you know, that Jim Carrey played uh, in uh, Man on the Moon? Andy Kaufman. Andy Kaufman. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> It's early, folks. It's, yeah. uh, you know, I, I, I stayed up all night and watched the Queen's funeral. So, uh, <laughs> and, yeah, that's uh, right. Good thing that the, kept, the Sunday ticket went out because then I could devote all my time to the, the, the royal funeral. The royal funeral, you know, and I kept, I kept falling asleep and waking up thinking I was in a lead lined coffin. Um, <laughs> and, but, um, <laughs> Can you imagine? Um, that's the Tales from the Crypt episode. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but literally, this show was a hit off Broadway, and everybody assumed that I was this was a stand-up comic because, you know, I had taken little bits from my, you know, Jerry, who was a writer, let me embellish it with some of my, you know, routines from the past and that kind of thing. Yeah. And I got approached by Star Search to come on star search in their first season. They were getting towards the end of their season. They already had all their semifinalists. And so they were getting the people that would become the reigning, you know, continuing champions going into the second season. And, you know, so they're like, uh, they came and I may have seen it once or twice, but I had never watched the stand-up comics on there, but they came to me and they went, Hey, we want you to be on. St- we saw you in the show. We want you to be in star search. And I was like, what is a, as a singer? I was like, you know, I, <laughs> I'm in a musical. Obviously I can sing, but you know, they had Sam Harris like tearing it up. I was like, I can't sing like Sam Harris. They're like, no, no, no. We want you to come on as a stand-up comic. I go, you know, I'm not really a stand-up comic. And they go, you can win a hundred thousand dollars. I'm like, fuck. Have you seen my act? You know, I was like, sure. Why not? You know? And so literally you had to come up with, you had to have two and a half minutes and I would take these bits as far back as when I was in high school and revamp them for two and a half minutes. Like I would do, you know, I used to do this bit where I do the wizard of Oz in two and a half minutes, which wound up like one of the staples in my standup. Yeah. And I don't know if you remember my standup, but. Vaguely. I did not know that you had not done standup before star search. That's crazy. totally crazy. You know, I mean, I had done sketch comedy, you know, and I had obviously in the sketch comedy, I had bits that were solo bits, but I didn't have, I didn't have a stand-up routine. I didn't have anything that was like inherently me. I had no jokes. I certainly couldn't pull off a monology type of act, you know, so I would, but I think that's why I wound up winning because I, you know, I would take two and a half minutes and go, okay, I'm going to do the Wizard of Oz in two and a half minutes. That's Yeah, I definitely remember you doing that, but. 
But you know, it would be it would be these bits. It would like kind of like Ernie Kovacs coming out and doing a routine on the Tonight Show or something. So I was like, you know what? Every week I'm going to treat it like it's the John Kassir show for two and a half minutes. You know, I even did one of the bits that I did was even like I I got an inflatable love doll, and it was a contestant on on John Kassir's talent scouts, and I did a, a send up of Star Search on the show, which you know, so that was kind of fun, you know, yeah. and um, and so. Uh, you know, wound up doing this this uh, the show and wound up in the semifinals against Rosie O'Donnell, and I beat her in the in the semifinals, and then I beat Simbad in the finals. And they're like, "Hey, oh, that was awesome!" You know, and they had Tom Jones on the show. He's like, "I like this kid. He's going to open for me in Vegas." And everybody's congratulating me, and I go, "I can't open for Tom Jones in Vegas." They're like, "Why not?" I go, "I have no fucking act. I'm going <laughs> to open for fucking Tom Jones in Vegas." You know. And they're like, you only need to do 20 minutes, get, you know, take your bits, you know, figure it out, figure it out. And when I started getting into the clubs and playing the improv and stuff and, and putting that stuff together, they were booking me opening for the temptations and the four tops on their TNT tour and Lou Rawls. And there'd be like 5,000 people in the audience, you know, and having done theater, it was you know, that it was better because it was actually harder for me in the clubs because people are talking at you and shit. And I had no, I had no like heckler, you know, comeback line. Yeah, no chops. Yeah. I had no chops, you know, to do that, you know, to do that. And, um, but I had an act that was real tight and it just got me sitcom after sitcom, you know, during the, during the seasons. But I think that, you know, here I was working on first and 10 when they, um, you know, and I had worked, you know, I'd done some recurring parts on Dream On and that kind of thing. Yeah. And, a, you know, they thought of me uh, uh, as the right kind of actor to come in and audition for Tales from the Crypt. So you just had fans at HBO. I had fans at that HBO. seems like a good place to have fans. You know, you see the, you, you, people do a couple different shows on that network. Yeah. So you got in real, real early. Yeah, I, I think First and Ten might have been their first series, but you know they also. And you're right. The 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 double edged sword of that was that not everybody had HBO, so like you'd be on the show working your ass right. off, and nobody'd see you in it. Yeah. You know, it was like everyone was like, "Oh, he's getting nominated for an Emmy. Oh, he's on the cover of TV Guide. He's on." It was like, "Hey, we got this show. I've never heard of it." It's on HBO. Oh, we don't I have was HBO. watching it and laughing every time that you had a line and then cut to your, <laughs> you got a gun to my head on the free, on the one one dude. <laughs> and I was young when that show started. I, I very, very specifically remember thinking how funny you were. Well, it was funny because Jay, Jason would be like, I, you know, Brian's not really an actor. I think you're going to have to show him the ropes, you know, smack him around a little bit. I was like, yeah. what? <laughs> I'm sure he used those words. You know, he wanted me to be like uh, Morton Downey Jr., you know, smacking around. Yeah. <laughs> why are you headbutting me? Why, why, why are you headbutting <laughs> Taking that metal oh gun that kept God. falling apart. Remember it kept the, falling apart? We were I mean, playing. Dude, we were doing this scene. <laughs> I remember the other one. I did, I did Hitler as a stand-up comedian in that. In that. <laughs> <laughs> I, had a, I had a piece of black tape. I put a piece of black tape over my lip and I'm doing this bit and then it, it flew up it, it, I said a P word and it went and then I just went 
<laughs> Pay no attention to that cheap prop. Oh my God. Jason was like, yeah, a couple people are like, that's the most offensive thing I've ever seen in my life. He's like, I think it's the funniest thing I've ever seen. So I had to admire. You could still get away with it then. It was, you know. Appreciation or his, uh, or his stupidity of letting me do that <laughs> And that's funny, that bit started my career. And now if you started your career doing it, you would not even have a career to start. No. Not bringing it back. You often wonder what happened to the guys whose whole act was making fun of other people, including themselves, too. Uh, yeah. You know, these guys that that was their whole act. You often wonder what's happened to them, you know? I don't know. I, I haven't been doing much stand When is the last time you did stand-up comedy? Oh, it's been a long time. You know, I get asked to do it for benefits and that kind of thing. And then I go to conventions to, you know, for horror conventions and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and, um, they'll set up a Q and a for me and, you know, and I'll tell, and I'll talk about how, you know, my career has evolved and that kind of thing. And I might, and I go, you know, and when they hear that I've done some stand up, you know, I'll go into two minutes, yeah. you know, this or that and make them laugh and stuff like that. I always loved it. It wasn't, wasn't my first and favorite thing to do. I never really liked doing the road. So I never really did yeah. too much, too much of that. You know, it was funny. It was, it, it was tough because they, they'd be like, Oh, uh, we want to see you for, they want to see you for this sitcom. And they would be like, well, he's kind of, he's, he's more of a stand up comic. They go, no, he's actually like an actor who was, no, he doesn't know how to do stand up. <laughs> and then, but you still get labeled. Isn't that funny? Yeah, but and then by the time you convince them that you're an actor, it's like, well, and they start giving all the stand-ups their own show. Yeah. And then you're like, well, you're not really a stand-up. You don't go on Letterman. They don't know you all over the country as a stand-up, you know? And I was like, right. Uh, whatever, dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, was, I was able to eke out, you know, eke out a, a uh, uh, not even just eke out, but, you know, maintain a, a, an acting career now for 42 years. Dude, like when I was first at your house and you got you know, this awesome house in the canyon and you're like, yep, Crypt Keeper, pay for all of this. <laughs> Crypt Keeper, first and 10. You know, many, 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 many failed sitcoms. You know, you do 10 episodes of a sitcom and they're paying you $25,000 an episode. And you're like, you know what? I'm putting it into the house. Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff. I was just smart and saved. You know, I was lucky I didn't have like a, you know, a drug habit. I know too yeah, many people that like. I, I know what that's like. I snorted my house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I drank a house. I'm pretty sure I drank a house. <laughs> See, that's the thing. I got to get one more score so I can get that uh, that uh, trailer park in the 55 and older community in Palm Springs. I'm gonna need a fake go. ID because I don't want to wait <laughs> a couple more years. I wanted. I'm wanting now. You and Rockford, you go hang out together, man. That's exactly the future that I'm looking for. You know, I got Chris wrote all these questions. I don't think I've asked you one. Go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. It's been really great catching up with you. Oh, it's uh, great catching you too. Talk about the, like, everybody knows you from the Crypt Keeper. Not everybody knows you from First and Ten like I do. Uh, but uh, how did how did that come about? How long ago was that? Uh, well, 1988 is when I auditioned for it. It came on the air in 1989 and ran uh, in first run ran till 1996, which was unheard of for cable. Amazing. 93 episodes or whatever it was. And um, at that time, and then of course, then it wound up on Fox and sci you know, I mean, it's been on somewhere ever since for, since 1989. And um, that's when I graduated high school. <laughs> yeah. Just watching you in high school. Oh my God. That's that, 
thanks for that. Sure. Um, but, but, um, you know, I mean, I, I never thought it would be a big deal because I had already been on, you know, worked on HBO for a number of years and right. you know, over a couple of years anyway, and you know, wasn't in everybody's household. So I didn't know that people would know about it, you know, and, and I had collected the comic books as a kid. So I knew how, how much it was like a collector's kind of thing. And so I thought that that's who it would be popular with. Yeah. And over the years, not only was it popular in its time, but but now, like if I go to a convention now, I have more people come up to me for autographs or just to say hi or yeah. show me their Crypt Keeper tattoo or whatever <laughs> it is because they were kids when it came out. And it was, and I like to make a joke, it, you know, I'll go like, yeah, well, you know, the Crypt Keeper was kind of like the gateway drug to horror. And they'll, and they won't laugh. They'll sit there and go, yeah, that's, that's about right, man. Yeah, you know, it's like, yeah, that you were, you know, I walked by the TV set and I couldn't watch you, but I had to watch you, you know, and you know, my parents, some people were like, my parents would let me watch it or they'd threaten to make me watch it if I didn't do my homework or, you yeah. know, that kind of stuff, you know, or my parents wouldn't let me watch it. So I watched it with my grandma on the weekends. So it's, it's got this whole <laughs> bonding with grandma over the crypt. Totally. <laughs> it has this whole nostalgia to people that yeah. I never would have guessed from the show. And they, they absolutely love it. And they love it as much as I did as a kid with the comic books. And, yeah. you know, I'm 42 years as an actor. You don't know what's going to stick out of all the stuff you've done. No. Or if anything. Or people will remember you for anything. If anything yeah. sticks, you're lucky. And for something like this, this is just, you know, this is just pop culture history. Totally. Something that's just, it's never gone away. Never gone away. You know, since the 1950s when the comic book came out. Yeah. And it'd be back on the air now if we had the rights. You know, I mean, this, the, the EC Comics has the rights to their own comic books, obviously. Yeah. See, that's a, that's a question, Chris. We'll finally get to one of your questions. <laughs> 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 We've heard your voice once. This is my favorite episode, by the way. Um, <laughs> are you a big horror guy? Were you into horror before? Are you now? What other genres, uh, you know, what, what other uh, oh, God. horror are you into? What's your other favorite? Well, that's a good question because I did love it as a kid. I mean, I wouldn't say I was obsessed with it as some people are. I mean, I could care less about slasher films, although I'll watch them. I enjoy them. But it's not like... You know, I mean, there are people that are just like obsessed with the slasher films or, you know, this kind of stuff, which is great. Um, but I did. I mean, we had Twilight movie back in Baltimore when I was a kid. You know, it was came on at 4 p.m. And my mom, be, you know, did you do your homework? My mom. Yes. But, you know, I was watching, you know, Twilight movie. We had one TV in the kitchen, so I had to watch it there. You know, when my, my mom was making dinner. And, you know, they would show everything from Doris Day movies to, you know, all the sci-fi movies like Mothra and, you know, Attack of the 50-Foot Woman and all that stuff. And then they would play also all the Roger Corman stuff with Vincent Price, like House of Wax yeah. and Tingler and The Fly and that kind of thing. But then they would also have all the Universal Horror Monster movies, you know, and I loved anything with a theremin, you know. <laughs> you know, and you know, because they'd have Wolfman and you know Frankenstein. Frankenstein, forget it. I wanted Frankenstein. You know, it's like I remember watching Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein. I go, this is the best movie ever. They got all the monsters in it, you know, and, and Abbott and Costello. And there's a scene where they've shipped Frankenstein from Transylvania along with Dracula or something, and they're taking him out of the packing material. And I'm like, 
mom, you can order Frankenstein. He's like, you know, in a box, you know, and of course I found in the back of one of the comic books, like Tales from the Crypt comic book or something, I found you could order one. Of course it was a six foot, you know, uh, cardboard cutout of Frankenstein, yeah. but I had it in my room for years, you know, and I had the, those, uh, what was it? The, the models, they made the models that you could build. Was it ideal or, or testers? Testers was, I think was the, the glue that you'd sniff while you were making them. <laughs> but, um, uh, Aurora, Aurora and you know they made all those models and they had all the universal monsters and stuff like that I was so into that stuff I always looked for a good one you know when like the exorcist came out I had to go see that and yeah. oh man and those those kind of those kind of uh I mean my favorite horror movies are a lot of them the, the ones that are you know kind of spiritually fucked up like those yeah. you know like Rosemary's Baby and you know because they feel more real yeah it's more creepy uh, yeah that's kind of like the thing that people like spend their whole life devoted to to find out that it could be that that fucked up well if you believe in heaven you have to believe in hell <laughs> you know you know when it came to tales from the crypt i mean i knew it was supposed to be funny i could see some of the other yeah. actors auditioning for it and they had the auditions down at kevin yeager's studio and kevin is the is the creature maker that made the puppet and he'd also made chucky um and designed freddy krueger and all this really great stuff yeah. so it was just kind of cool to go down to his shop and there he was working on the puppet you know he was making you know the crypt keeper puppet and you could see that it was all he had a version with a nose a version without a yeah. nose but he was you know it was all kinds of cool stuff and i could see these other actors you know and they had had you know our good friend you know rick overton was there I remember i was just thinking about rick overton as we were talking because i've only been in one movie and it was a horror movie and it was with rick overton who we <laughs> love so much he played this uh religious zealot psycho who was cutting people's backs and then taking their shoulder blades and snapping them out like wings uh, it was uh scott larose Do you know scott larose that's yes. what fuck wrote that yeah, yeah it was yeah, that was the one great, with the about the the called comedy hell Comedy Hell. Comedy Hell with Eric Roberts played the sheriff. God. Who's the coolest guy. Yeah. That was that my was only a, movie experience, but I was just thinking about Rick. Unbelievable. I mean, Scott's an uh, underestimated talent as well. Yeah. I mean, but but Rick was, I remember him. I, you know, they had like Michael Winslow, all these people, and they're walking in there thinking they nailed it. And I could see that hey. they're all trying to make him scary and creepy and all this stuff. And But they're looking at the script going, seeing the puns going, be careful yeah. what you acts for you may get it this is terrible you know i'm like going no you guys don't get it that's shakespeare yeah. to this guy you know and i started doing the voice for kevin yeager and he was, you could see that he had been burned out from listening to this all day and i did it for him he was like yeah you know he's laughing and i start laughing you know as the crypt keeper i'm like great the awesome did his own jokes and this kind of stuff and the next day he had me doing it for joel silver and richard donner you know in this little office where they were setting up you know to produce the show and they were like great we'll see you on the set may have been the easiest thing i ever got unbelievable unbelievable man the biggest thing you've ever done and is the easiest yeah and that's yeah. the way and you got yeah. it they don't know what they want. God damn it. I'll tell you, like, if you do it like everybody else, 
you're not going to get it. It's always something a little bit different, isn't it? Very often. Don't you find that, especially voiceover? You know, it, voiceover is weird because you really have to know a lot about what you're auditioning for. And for the, the great thing about auditioning at home is that I could do like, you know, a dozen auditions in a week. But the bad thing about it is, is that I'm not in the room with the people who have the project where they can go, oh, no, no, no that's, you know, we like what you're doing. It's way over the top to bring it way down. On the down. fly, this is, making adjustments. Yep. You know, making adjustments, telling you what their tone of their piece is, why they wanted Meek to come in. You know, I mean, all these different things. Because otherwise, you're just taking whatever information they've given you, pictures or no pictures. There's not always pictures, yep. you know, of what the character is going to look like, this kind of thing. And, you know, so having a knowledge of who you're auditioning for, like if you're auditioning for Klasky Chupo, who did Rugrats and, you know, and Rocket power that i worked on and stuff like that that's got one style to it right. and then if you're working for you know doing a marvel superman or something like that it's got a whole nother thing and the age group they're doing it for that changes it sure you know so that 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 changes it up a lot i mean the uh, obviously the upside to voiceover is you're not typed out by your age or you know what you look like i mean i was the original voice of deadpool yeah, I was just going to bring that up. That's another fine question that Chris wrote. Was uh, you you were Ryan Ryan Reynolds before Ryan, who I've yeah. worked with? There's another uh, connection. <laughs> worked with on two guys, a girl, and a pizza place. Perfect. He's like, why are they wasting all this talent on four lines? I'm like, I don't know, Ryan Reynolds. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, what's it? What's what? What's your approach when you're when you got to voice a superhero? I mean, it's hard to not be like you know the classic hack wait you know what i mean you got to put a spin on something so what what, what was your thought process there with the super well you know it, it, like in, in in playing deadpool they just thought of me and had me come in and do it because because of the crypt keeper because that's he, always nice yeah because he talks to the camera as well and he's yeah he's self-aware of the fact that he's in a game and he's sarcastic and all that stuff yeah you know but then eventually they started redrawing him into this big burlier kind of guy and they you know they uh they had a really good voice actor nolan north take him over and do you know he was more you know he had a bigger voice and he was more you know he's still sarcastic and still all that stuff yeah but um you know so sometimes those characters evolve too so it's it's what they're thinking a lot of the time but, you know, most of the time when I audition for all the, you know, the Batmans and all the, you know, the stuff that comes out, they usually have me for some kind of creepy characters, some kind of weird, yeah. you know, it's the bat, you know, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, dying 20 times each episode and that kind of stuff. But which is fun, you know, I mean, uh, uh, playing those kind of little Joe Pesci characters and stuff, you know, yeah. Uh, but it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a hard thing. I, th you know, I mean, I audition for, you know, I may audition for a dozen things a week and, you know, and in a month I may get one or none of them. Right. Who are you with, by the way? Or who, who's your agent? I'm with DPN. DPN uh, used to be the ICM voiceover department years ago. Okay. And I've, I've been with them. They've been my one and only voiceover to, uh, oh, no um, kidding. agents since like 1989. The wow. best. They're the best too. They're the absolute best. And I just love them. We've had so much success together for many, many years. That's an unbelievable relationship. Now, how you mostly at home now? Are you doing anything in uh, auditions out in person anymore? 
recordings, but the auditions very rarely. They may have you for a callback where they want you to come in and talk to you and do that kind of stuff. Right. But most of the stuff, and and because I'm set up at home to be able to record through Source Connect and all that stuff, you know, with a good mic and stuff here, a lot of my jobs are at home. You know, uh, obviously everything's settled down a bit where they can get you into a studio um, and not worry about whether you're going to wind up, you know, drowning in your own lungs in a hospital. (laughs) So, you know, I mean, it's those kind of things. But um, so, you know, we go back in the studio, but very few of the auditions, voiceover auditions. And honestly, all my on camera stuff has been self tape as well. Yeah, I kind of enjoy that, too. I was always a guy that used to like, oh, on the ride home. Yeah, I I should have said this should have been my time. Yeah. Oh, I figured I'd just be ruined the week for me. Yeah. You know, you do it at home. You can do it as much as you want. But it's just like, who do I get to read with, especially during the pandemic? I can't really. So I was having my kid, you know, and I'm like, someday one person's going to be watching this video and hear an eight year old's voice talking about, you know, human trafficking with me in this scene. Like a child should not be saying these things. And I think somebody's, you know, you're so bored. You're listening to the same crap. You're watching the same. And then you hear an eight year old. Give me, throw me a bone. I love that you have your eight-year-old as your reader off camera. That's yeah, great. and he gets into it. He does voice. He does a like an accent when it's called for, and that's great. It's, it's fun. I love it. He's into horror as well. You know what? I'm going to start showing him. He's old enough now. Oh, forget it. Nelson the Crypt is totally his thing. You know, this is perfect age for him. But he's got a. They just started. It's called Creepy Club. Oh, and they, nice. They had a Zoom meeting recently, and I asked his mother how it went. And he, she's like, I don't know. As soon as it started, he kicked me out of the room. And I'm like, you got to be careful about what you're drawing on notebooks in school. Yeah, you can't be go like you can't have a bloody axe. Oh, remember the stuff we the stuff we used to have? We had yeah. little, they'd sell stickers that you could stick on your notebooks. You know, of like, you know, a, you know, big, uh, big Daddy Roth and all that stuff with like, ah! you know, this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, that was the thing. Garbage, pa- garbage can kids or whatever it was. You know, yeah, no violence, milk. no blood in school. Yeah, we, we keep anymore. that. We keep that home where it should be. Yeah. <laughs> creepy club hey let's talk about the simpsons did you how many what's the deal i didn't even know you'd done voices on the simpsons is that a thing? uh yeah you know i mean it's funny because i literally i was offered the original um tracy allman show oh no kidding that everybody was cast in the simpsons from because they yeah, were not everybody knows that that's where the simpsons came from it was from the yeah tracy they were allman using them as a little, little bit yeah, they had little bits that were bumpers on the show. Yeah. And I got offered to do that, but I had got offered a bigger sitcom, what was considered a network sitcom. I think that was on Fox, which Fox wasn't like the mainstream yet, or I think. But oh. whatever it was, I was offered a show with Alan Burns, who you know wrote Mary Tyler Moore and Lou Grant and all this stuff. Yeah. And actually, that show was a better show and actually did better, but the Tracy Allman show launched you know, more shows for her, obviously, because she's amazing talent, but also launched The Simpsons. Yeah. You know, and Dan was on that show. Dan Castellano was on that show. And I I mean, you know, 
I don't know if I would have wound up, you know, getting one of the characters or not. Boy, I can hear you doing all the Harry Hank Azaria voices. I mean, you guys. Oh my god, very he's so good. They're and it's they're amazing. all so good at them. You know, it would, but it was. You know, I worked with. I worked a lot with all of those people. You know, Dan yeah. and I did Earthworm Jim together, and I worked with with um, Nancy Cartwright for years on you know another show. Uh, yeah. You know, I can't even remember. So it goes far so far back, but um, you know, that got called in because. Uh, somewhere down the road, I had done Miko the raccoon in Pocahontas. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden everybody goes, Oh, he does animals. That's like not an easy thing to find. Give me the animal guy. Give me the animal guy. (laughs) So I got called in, you know, they're like, uh, you know, uh, Simpsons, when you come in and do, do you do lemurs? You can do a, I go, sure. The lemur, you know, I look at some tapes of some lemurs, you know, online or whatever. They actually sent me a tape of lemurs, you know. So, you know, I got I go on there and I started looking at them. Go, oh, they kind of sound like a raccoon, you know. And so then they're like, okay, we'll come in, you know. And of course, I get there and they're like, you know, Bart, you know, has let all the animals out of the zoo. So we would need you to do all the animals. So I'm doing like lemurs and rhinoceros. I'm literally bleeding from the nose doing rhinoceros because rhinoceros was like. <laughs> and they're like, okay, that was awesome. Now we need to do a herd of rhinoceros. Oh my God. And I was like, can we see that one to the end? You know, I'm literally yeah, bleeding. Right. <laughs> and so then they're, you know, so then they were like, oh, you know what? Have you seen Santa's Little Helper? I go, of course. They go, can you come in and do Santa's Little Helper? I go, well, who usually does them? They go, we have, we've had a bunch of people doing Frank Welker, blah, blah, blah. He goes, you're going to be, you're going to be our Santa's Little Helper for a while. So, you know, so I came into Santa's little helper, you know, he, he has a big episode where he saves the family, you know, old yeller, where he saves the fam- family in the in a, in a fire, you know, I mean, there's all this stuff. And so they kept bringing me for stuff, but it, it was not always easy because they, they would give these personalities to like a donkey. Right. You know, they go, okay, this donkey's in love with Homer. And and you're sitting there going, well, okay. And so you start making some noises and they're like, nah, it sounds too much like a dog. You're like. Well, donkeys make like one noise. <laughs> they don't make like a lot of different noises, you yeah. know, and they're like, okay, but we need him to do, you know, can he play coy with, you know, and, you know, for a long time, they would bring me in for some fun stuff. And they just, you know, the Simpsons has been around so long. They've just changed complete staff and people sure. over the years. I have no idea who even runs it anymore. Yeah. So, um, you know, over the years, I just kind of, uh, it just kind of phased out just because of that. But for a year, for a number of years, I I got to do some fun stuff on that show. So you've been in a bunch of episodes then. A handful. Handful. A handful. I would say a handful. You know, it is the longest. I think it's isn't it the longest running show on television ever? Yeah, yeah. That's insane. Yeah, crazy. It's great. It's a great. Crazy. Show. So let's talk. Uh, what 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 to you? Obviously, there's a difference between voice acting and live acting. Uh huh. You know, what are your thoughts on that? Which do you prefer? Oh, do you like voiceover acting? You've done so much voice acting, but like, what, what, what do you like better? I mean, voice acting, you don't have to shower. That's what I always <laughs> like. <laughs> Showers, especially if you don't leave your house. I don't wear pants sometimes when I'm recording <laughs> here at home. Exactly. You, I'm not wearing pants now, guys. No, I'm not. Pants Um, but, um, you know, I mean, the fun thing about voice acting, again, is that I can play stuff that I would never get cast on on camera. Right. You know, I get to play those kind of things, especially for somebody who's like always considered themselves even as a young person, uh, as a character actor. You know, when you're young, if I probably, you know, would have 
you know, gotten more of the kind of Kevin Pollack parts and stuff like that. If yeah. I, had, if I had believed that I was enough, you know, I, I always thought that I was not interesting enough. So I had to give him a funny voice or make him yeah. look weird or give him a walk or, you know, this kind of stuff. And, and as a young actor, they really want you to be as much you as you can and then add these, these quirks and stuff like that to them and that kind of thing. With animation, you know, I mean, it's, you know, you're visualizing whatever they're visualizing and taking it there sure. instead of them going, you walk in and, and allowing them to see whatever you are within that part. So, you know, it opens the door to you to many more different parts than you would get. Plus as a actor, as you age, and there's just less parts for you because they just write less parts for an actor after a certain age, there's just less parts and, and it's more competitive because you're up against people who are, they're still around. They're good too. Or I may be even better known on camera than you are. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, it's you or Steve Buscemi, you know, they're going to pick Steve Buscemi. Why wouldn't they, you know, right, that right. Kind of well, that's not necessarily true. I beat out like some amazing actors for parts over the years on camera, but I love working on camera, but my favorite is still working on stage, man. I love, I love stage acting. I love, you know, the rehearsal process and getting yeah. to really flesh out a character and then continue to let it grow, perform, you know, as you're performing it. Right. I, do you do a lot of that now? You still? Cause I, I haven't in the years. You know, I've done very little of that in my career, but it really, it's the rush of stand up, but your acting is what, like I always, oh, yeah. that's why I love sitcom taping so much because yeah. you have that live performance feel, but it's just like, yeah. oh man, you can't describe it. Like you're, I got to go through that door. I got to go yeah. through that door. Five seconds. Do I got yeah. to remember to breathe I like before I say on. my line? Wait, I got to <laughs> swallow now. It's fucking unbelievable, isn't it? That that pressure. yeah. Until the it's the script rush. supervisor comes over to you and goes, you know, the writers prefer you say the instead of the. Okay. <laughs> Go again. Go. <laughs> Go again. Yeah, or they start rewriting the jokes, and you're in the middle of doing it, which is you know, which is great when you're a stand-up comic. You can do that, you yes. know. But other people are like, "What? You want me to deliver a new joke? Okay." When I get to that line, I'll see if I can hit it. Yep. You know, but then, you, you know, but if you've been doing it in a while or you're on a show that's successful, it's like you can do that. But yeah. you got to come in as a guest star and you haven't been doing it in a while. It's like, first of all, just, you know, being, you know, picking up the energy of what they're doing and how they're doing it and, you know, being yep. part of their, their thing is one thing, but then just the fact that like when I was on a show, they could put lines in front of me. I could look at them once or twice and, and consume them and, and just like regurgitate them. Yeah. You know, as a guest, as a guest star, they'll give you a two page, they'll give you a two page speech that, that sums up everything that happened in the, you know, I was in the first episode of, um, Oh God, what was the episode where she would see God every day with, uh, Amber Tamblin. Touched by an angel. Touch no 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 touch not touch my angel. Um, it was like where it was like where it took place. It was like uh, I don't remember. Anyway, you know, so I was God as a mime, you know, and all of a sudden, and you know, and they had it was an afterthought in the episode. They needed to to wrap up like everything that had happened to her up until that point. And she's standing there, and I'm leaning as a mime, and she comes up, and I start talking to her, and she's like, "I thought mimes weren't supposed to talk." Yeah, well, you know, she's like, oh, you're, you're God again or whatever. Yeah, that's right. And I start, and they kept rewriting it. They kept rewriting it. And I was like, 
dude, you are killing me. And then they would be pissed when I would, would flub the line. I was like, I have a two page scene. You keep rewriting it and like giving it to me and say, here, deliver this. It was like, you know, I worked all weekend to get it word perfect for you. And now you keep changing everything of it. <laughs> they have and no you, idea. <laughs> and they'd be shooting over my shoulder. You, you wouldn't even see my face. So it didn't matter if I was saying the right words or not. And they're like, you're beginning to screw up the actress's uh, performance by not saying the right line at the right time. I was like, she's not, she's just sitting there listening to me. Uh, she's not even speaking. You know, what are you talking about? I'd be like, oh my God, this is a nightmare. You know, and the, you're mic'd. So you're like saying shit under your breath and they're all hearing it. Like, Who is this fucking director? <laughs> well, he's done like 20 C shows and this is, you know, he's the show. I mean, you're like, I don't fucking care. He doesn't know what he's doing. You know, this kind of stuff. You know, it's, it's a lot of pressure, uh, working on camera. Um, it's when it's right, it's really the, so much fun. And so, yeah. you know, especially a movie or a series where you've been playing the character a lot all the time and you, you, you can let that character grow and you're working with actors that you guys are all on, you know, you already have like a, a kind of a, um, unspoken language going on. Yeah. You're a horse. Yeah. I, I went a while. I did my first acting gig a few months ago. It, it had been uh, almost seven years. So wow. just to be back on a set, I was so excited. And there was a scene I had to play it kind of high stakes. And so I made that decision. But when the director said, Hey, uh, if you would take that, take it down 60%. I was like, Oh my God, that's so much. That's so fucking much. That must have been terrible. Sixty percent. Oh no. Oh, but I was like, you know, have somewhere to come back to. But like, I was just too amped, man. I was too amped up. I was like, I'm living my dream. I remember auditioning for um, Thirty Something. Do you remember that show, Thirty Something? Yes. And they were all, it was all real subtle. So, you know, I'm auditioning for uh, Edward Zwick, who is amazing director and amazing creator. And, you know, I was doing uh, room service at the Pasadena Playhouse, which was like, you know, three, it was like the, a Marx Brothers movie as well, wow. you know, but it's way over the top. And I'm playing Faker England and I'm doing this thing. So I come in and I had to, you know, I think I'm taking it down for the audition. But I'm like, I'm playing a guy who's like dating one of them and they're, they're like not cutting him any slack at Thanksgiving because he's the outsider kind of thing. And I am so over the top and have no idea. And they're like, uh, you've seen our show, right? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I've seen it. And they go, yeah, what you're doing? And I was like, oh, shit, I'm sorry. You know, I started explaining to him, I'm like doing room service at the passing of the playhouse. But I just wasn't able to make the adjustment at that moment. You know, I just wasn't, you know. Yeah. It's hard, man. It's hard when there's a bunch of people in the room and all the crew and like, oh, yeah, 60%. <laughs> Pick it down. Take it and down. And you know what? I didn't audition. I didn't audition for it. I have not booked an audition in so long. I don't even fucking know. But I feel good about them. Is that a problem? I'm like, I feel great about that one. But why aren't it's they? It's not you. It's not you. It's the thing, man. I think as I've gotten, it's not me. It's got, it's everybody else. Here's the thing as you could probably tell me if you've gotten this, but as I've gotten older, I'm not intimidated anymore. When you're younger and you walk in and everybody's older than you and that, and I give a fuck about a 35 year old producer at this point in my life. Oh, you've it. done nothing. Yeah, I totally. Except a couple shows. You haven't, you haven't had, you haven't had the shit kicked out of you. That's the <laughs> way I feel now. 
Right. You'd think I'd be working more, but I, I feel better about it. I, right. I'm failing better. <laughs> it's hey, if, you're, if you don't take the risk to fail, you don't go anywhere. You know. Well, that's it. That is. Yeah. Look, man, 42 years you've been doing this shit. You're obviously doing it right, man. To, hey, longevity in this business. And uh, I've known you for a long time, man. I really appreciate you talking to us today. Chris, do we have any fan? We, we don't want to keep you too long. I got a Bills game coming up. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, yeah. before we get into the, we have a few fan questions, but um, John, I have to tell you, I, have you guys, both of you, have you ever had like this memory of just something from TV, like a line that just sticks in your head for like years that you, that you watch? And one of the lines for me was, pea soup, I made it myself. And that is, <laughs> that is John. That's a great line. That is John on the Amanda show 20 years ago when I was, I was watching the Amanda show as a kid and I never put that together that that was, that was the same guy as the Crypt Keeper. So I wanted to ask you, That's you know, hilarious. was that and, uh, and much better with a uh, block. Better. Meatloaf crunch was one of my favorites. <laughs> it's meatloaf. It's a cereal. It's meatloaf crunch. And I, I played the meatloaf crunch in a giant as a giant meatball. Uh, you know, I mean, sketch shows are so much fun and so perfect for somebody like me. But when you're doing yeah. them for kids, I mean, it's just like there's no sophistication to what you're doing <laughs> on purpose. And so, you know, I I, I I took it for a season and I, I really had a great time. And, um, you know, Mando is, is an amazing talent and, you know, God bless her for everything she's been through. But um, we had a lot of laughs doing that show, but you know, it's like the adults on Nickelodeon are always have the shit beat out of them. They're like, okay, you're going to be right. playing Mr. Gullible. We're going to give you some funny teeth, you know, you, and, you know, and like the kids are like, oh, I dropped, you dropped your keys in the, in the fish tank. And, you know, so you, I want, we want you to put your face in the fish tank and chase the fish around with your teeth, you know, stuff like that. And you're getting, this is the kind of stuff. Okay. You're going to be, you're going to, you know, these are the Wrestlebergs. The family are all WWF wrestlers. You're the dad and you get thrown through a wall and, you know, it's just like, you know, it's like, that's the stuff, you know, these are the jokes and, um, you know, Oh, can you play it? Can you take it up 60%? Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's Nickelodeon. <laughs> I'm just a yeah. Nickelodeon actor trying to do other shit. It's yeah. I'm sorry. It's, you need about 60% more than what you're doing. It's like, are you kidding me from what I'm doing now? Yes. I thought you and Amanda really played well off each other when you were teamed up at either the video store or the the restaurant or something. Oh, I totally. That. She was way beyond her, you know, way beyond her years in terms of, you know, uh, you know, the level that she could be doing as an actor. And so, I mean, that's one of the reasons why they brought me on. I had had my own kid show on the USA Network. And um, is that available? Can I see not that available. somewhere? Nowhere, it's, not online. You know, the unfortunate thing is, is because it, we did it with USA, who got bought up by CBS, they got bought up by so and so. It's in some vault somewhere, and I can't get a hold of the footage. Oh, that's otherwise I would put it up, you know, because I wasn't an executive producer. I would love to have it. It's so great. I mean, people have go, "Hey, I have it on VHS." And I go, "I can't." posted online off of vhs it's gonna look like shit but it was a great show it's really psychedelic i think Pee Wee herman but you know prince was doing his own kid show. oh I mean, man it's, i would it's love totally to psychedelic see but you know i mean they they brought me in because they knew that they would find other talented kids but you to really step it up you have adults that can do that stuff 
with somebody like Amanda, it really ups her game, you know? So, um, yeah, we had a good time. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so some, some, uh, viewer questions, uh, tell us about your guest role on Star Trek Voyager. You're on Star Trek. Ah, Star Trek Voyager. I played Gar, who's the only Dralian that they've ever had on the show, which was cool. And, uh, you know, it's funny because they had auditioned me so many times for Star Star Trek, all these different uh, different versions of Star Trek, and they never got it. And but they loved me, you know, because they love theater actors because you have to be able to to act through the makeup and all that stuff. Yeah. In fact, I was in the final mix to play Neelix, and the day that I went in for the final callback, uh, I was sick as a dog, and I was like. I was doped up on cough syrup and stuff. I could barely get it out. I just totally blew my audition. But, um, you know, the actor who played Neelix was just wonderful. And I wound up having all these scenes with him in this particular episode. And, uh, you know, Gar um, was a kind of a scam artist uh, who steals um, Robert Picardo's doctor character, the holographic doctor, and sells him to this hospital ship. And it was great. I had great scenes. It was a lot of fun to do. Uh, what's his name? Um, uh, West. Uh, uh, oh, the the guy who does all the makeup. My brain is not sharp today. I'm so upset about the queen. <laughs> <laughs> Just can't get over it. They can't um, get over the shock. Can't get over the shock. I can't. I can't. <laughs> I can't sleep. Um, but you know they they you know designed the 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 um, you know uh. Gosh, I, I wish I could remember his name off. Uh, anyway, um, you know the he's amazing. Everybody knows who he is. He did he did, he did most of the designs, and he you know didn't design as many as as he used to in the past. So other people who help him out, but he designed that specific one and wanted to do it on my face and everything because it was such a great character, and I had a lot of fun doing it. Of course, we had shot. Um, and then we would, we would crack everybody up and, you know, I had scenes with, uh, Larry Drake, um, you know, who I worked with on Tales from the Crypt and all this stuff. And, and Larry played this character. And as they do, sometimes they put like genitalia on the, uh, on the face. He had like a little clitoris, like right here between his eyes <laughs> oh, on his forehead. And, and I'd, I'd like, we'd be doing a scene. They go, oh, you little, have a little something right there. And I'd start tickling it and shit. And he would die laughing. I would die laughing. And they would get so pissed at us because they get so pissed at us because we were holding them up, you know, because there are other people in makeup and they used to try to shoot those guys out first because they go yeah. into golden time. It starts, you know, it's a lot more money and blah, 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 blah. And when they shot this scene, you know, where like Neelix gives me wormwood and it gets me sick and they had, I played it the way they wanted me to play it. I got really sick and I'm like, uh, you know, I get diarrhea, whatever. And then they, when they looked at it, they went, oh, that looks, makes Neelix look like too cruel. You know, we, we better reshoot it. So I got to go back and reshoot stuff. And they were like, dude, you know, check the humor, you know, just <laughs> check the humor today. Okay. Uh, if you don't mind. Stop but, being uh, so funny. Our last fan question. And I know you alluded to this a little bit, John. Westmore. Uh, will, will we ever get a new Tales from the Crypt series? And if, if not, what's, what's holding, holding that up? That's from Anthony DiMaria. Anthony, um, you know, nobody would be happier than me, obviously. Because not only being a fan of the show, but also getting work on the show would be awesome. Um, we've been trying to get the rights back from EC Comics for years. 
and it's just never happened. We've never been able to get it. You know, there's a, it's kind of a catch 22 because if somebody else does the show, they don't have the rights to this version of the Crypt Keeper because that was our version of the Crypt Keeper. Right. You know, the Crypt Keeper obviously is in the comic books, but they'd have to come up with their own version. And this guy has become so. Yeah married with the show that how could you do another one with it and they had done such a great job with our show emulating the comic book making it feel like a collector's item you know i mean all the toys we put out and everything were all in limited editions so they were all collectible and that kind of thing so whether that'll ever happen i don't know they may have another series and it won't involve me or this crypt keeper you know um you know which is sad because that's you know, that's what it should be. And that's what we would all like it to be. You know, there'll be invitations. I mean, they have creep show and creep show is certainly the, especially this version. I'm sure it's entertaining, but it's no tales from the crypt. And that the, the, the creep is no crypt keeper. Certainly not with these guys, you know, because it wasn't only me, obviously they, they wrote it around my personality and the fun that I could bring to it. And the voice people are like, Oh, it's the voice. You know, I could hear from the other room and I have to come running. And, but you know, it's also Kevin Yeager's amazing, you know, yeah. design. The fact that it's a puppet is what attracted all those kids in the first place. You know, exactly. he was, you know, he was so otherworldly and then amazing writers, you know, yeah. so amazing writers, you know, but you know, these days I go out and I do the, the conventions. I'll be um, in Sacramento October 1st for a viewing of, of uh, Demon Night, which is really cool. You know, people can come get autographs as well as you buy a ticket for the, for the um, you know, um, that'll be really cool. And nice. then uh, I'm going to be in um, at Scare Fest in Lexington, Kentucky in, in October and, and uh, uh, horror convention in Niagara Falls and Pennsylvania. Ah, my, you know, this kind of stuff. Of woods. Yeah. Very so cool. Where can people follow you to get all this information on social media? You want to plug? Where can people totally. find out where, where you're, where you're going to be? You know, you could, I mean, there's, you know, they only let you have 5,000 people on, on, uh, on Facebook. So that's usually filled up, but you can still follow me on there. And I, I post everything on there, um, what I'm doing. And then of course, uh, uh, but, um, my Twitter account and also my Instagram account are all my name, John Kassir, J-O-H-N-K-A-S-S-I-R, you know, so they're both those and, um, you know, you'll find the real me, but there's also other you know, fan sites that people have started with, you know, the Crypt Keeper, John Kassir, the Crypt Keeper, or Dads from the Crypt, you know, there's a bunch of these kind of people that run those kind of things, and they keep up on what I do and post as well. But, um, you know, for me, you want to contact me, you can always DM me or Instagram me or, you know, or Twitter me. Well, we appreciate you talking to us today, man. It's been too long. It's great to see you. It's great to catch up. Let's get out and swing the clubs. You still play at all or... You know, I do, I do. It's been a while. Cause I, I said, I had, like I said, I had shoulder surgery, but I went out and played in it and my shoulder was great, but I haven't, Feeling played. Better. Good. you know, right, I got well, like, my that. handicap to about a 14 or something, you know, but I haven't, I haven't played in, in, you know, I played twice in the last two years, but I love playing. Well, we'll get so, back out there. We'll definitely for sure, get man. back out there and uh, follow him on the social media. I'm going to be showing my son. The old Crypt Keeper, keep them alive. Tales from the Crypt. <laughs> <laughs> Can't close it up any better than that. You know, they also have the Tales from the Crypt Keeper, you know, which is the cartoon is on Tubi now. I know they have that, oh, okay. but otherwise, 
you could find tales from the crypt on DVD or, you know, whatever. <laughs> YouTube, I don't know. <laughs> Be careful what you ask for. You may get it. <laughs> Love it. Close it up tight. Dude, Love thank it. you so much. We really yeah. appreciate it. It's thank a great you, talking John. to you again. It's a pleasure. <laughs> Bye, you guys. Go Ravens. Ciao. Thanks, brother. God, so good. That was so great, good, man. This. That was a really cool interview, man. I mean, that was great to see you uh, connecting. It's so cool to just not only not only interview, but just to kind of catch up and just uh, with somebody that I've been friends with for a long time. And it's it's been a few years, so that was really, really cool. Really cool to catch up. Yeah, yeah. When I reached out to him on Facebook, uh, he was like, I, I told him about the podcast. He's like anything for Dunkelman. So oh, that's really uh, sweet. He's yeah, always he's, one of the nicest guys I've ever met in this business and uh, was so kind to me. Like, you know, I, you heard him say, my manager's like, this kid doesn't know how to act. Rough him <laughs> up a little bit. And he did, man. It was really, that's a gift. That's yeah. a real gift as a young performer. When you get somebody like that, that's that, that imparts some knowledge to you. And uh, it's just really, really great. I mean, talk about that's That's what you want in this business. I'm sorry. 42 years amazing good god 42 years in this business and to, to consistently work and like you know sometimes it is it's just that one thing yeah one thing that just keeps you going when there's nothing else on you know on the docket and and man it's what a great one thing that guy's got what a great one thing he pop, pop culture icon it's so so funny i was um looking at facebook He's met my stepmom. My stepmom met him at a convention oh, okay. like years ago. So there's a picture of them and uh, she gave them uh, her book uh, that you wrote with my dad. And uh, so that was very, very cool. What stuck out to me in the interview, um, and I didn't get to say anything, but when he was talking about uh, he he and his friend doing the morning announcements, I'm I'm the teacher that produces the morning announcements at my school. And I just think of like oh, yeah. all the really cool, creative kids that I have. Uh, how inspiring it's going to be for them to hear that, hey, the Crypt Keeper started on the morning announcements too. So, because, yeah. you know, they they do the, the you know, the odd voices and quirky characters too. And I, I just think it's really cool. Yep. There is a future. There is a future for you if you're one of those kids. I was going to say, is like, is, was that something that was given to you? Okay, stop disrupting class. Be funny now. You know what I'm saying? Because you've heard that yeah. a lot. I heard Jim Carrey. Just to have him be in control, like you got five minutes, go. Get it out of your system yeah. so I can teach. So I was wondering if that's how he fell into it. But I did something very similar. There was a, a slideshow presentation. It was just pictures. But I had a microphone and I would make funny comments. That's kind of the first first little performance I ever gave too. So Nice. Interest how we, uh, we all kind of get our start in this business. Sometimes we're just a disruptive kid or, you know, kid who's got to yeah. get something out of our system. And look at the payoff, right? Yeah, the payoff is you get to be a kid your whole fucking life. Yeah. So that's what's amen. pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, for, for to meet him when I was only 25, 26 years old, this big, awesome house, like, yep, yeah, Crip Keeper. <laughs> Crip Keeper gave me all this. So uh, it was very, very cool to talk to our friend John. And check out, like, I didn't even bring up, he played Shemp in the Three Stooges movie. This guy is is a brilliant actor. And if all you know him from is Tales from the Crypt, Go and check out some of his other work. Like he's a really, really great actor. Yeah. And, um, so good to catch up with him after all these years. For sure. For sure. 
So, um, so yeah, everybody, thanks for watching or listening, whichever you have tuned in, or however you have tuned in. We appreciate you listening or watching or both. And uh, check us out at patreon.com slash dorkdaily. Get some merch at dorkdaily.com slash dunklevision. And also, uh, check out our earlier episodes. We've been doing this for a year now, and we have some yes. really, really awesome guests so many fantastic TV shows and movies that I watched growing up. Uh, we talked to people from those shows, from those movies, and just incredible, incredibly inspiring stories, I would say. Yeah, really great conversations with really talented people. And um, I, I, inspiring is a good word. It's very, very cool that we've been doing this for a year now. And we thank everybody who's been watching and listening. And, uh, and uh, let's keep it going. All right. Well, will you close us out, Dunk? Thanks for tuning in to another edition of Dunkle Vision. We'll see you next time. Damn, seamless. Seamless. Smooth jazz. <laughs>